Just a little talk with Jesus clears the way. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. And he will answer by and by. Now when you feel a little prayer will turn it. And you know a little fire is burning. You will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears. But Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer, he knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. And he will answer by and by. Now when you feel the prayer will turn it. And you know the fire is burning. You will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Good job. Woo! Your move, Oak Ridge boys. Right? If you <laughs> the Hollybrook boys. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Now, <clears throat> to, to some of you that are here today, we are going to start talking about my favorite character outside of Jesus in all of the Scripture, and that is Joseph. I love Joseph. Now, some of you probably remember about five years ago, I did a, a five-part series on the life of Joseph, and um, some of you weren't here. You say, hey, I've never heard this material, so this will all be new to you. But for some of you, you're like, I I've heard Brother Nathan preach some of this before. I'm going to use a line from one of my favorite old pastors, up hillbilly pastors up in Harrison, Arkansas. He said one time, he said, if you guys can get up and sing the same specials all the time, then I can get up and preach the same sermons. And so, uh, so some of this material you've heard before, uh, but we are going to... Uh, some of it is also new, uh, some, some stuff, some other stuff I've studied. Uh, so those of you that have notes from the sermon series five years ago, you're going to get some same notes, you're going to get some new notes and all that stuff. But we're going to talk about Joseph. Now to set it up, uh, to remind you of kind of what we've been talking about and where, we go, where we're going, we've been working through this idea of um, you know, looking at the major themes and concepts theologically through the Bible, through the Scripture. And we've worked from creation a few months ago all the way up to we're now to Joseph. Now, if you'll notice, 
We've been rolling along. We're in our third month of this sermon series now. Today is September 1st, and we haven't even gotten out of the book of Genesis, right? But that tells you how much important theology exists in the book of Genesis. Now, as we walk through this uh, together into Joseph, it's important to give you a little background of who Joseph is. So when we, when we look back at where we've been, we've had Adam and Eve, and then we had Noah in the flood, and then Noah had this grandson named Abraham who God gave this great promise to. Hey, I'll make your nations as numerable as the stars. And we talked about Abraham the last couple of weeks. And then Abraham had this son named Isaac. That's the one he took up and was going to sacrifice on the, on the mountain. We talk, excuse me, we talked about last week. I got the hiccups this morning. We talked about last week. And uh, about Isaac, well then Isaac went on and he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Jacob, who was kind of a a swindler and an an all-around bamboozler, ended up stealing the the blessing. And and, and you can read about that story. And he uh, he had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And that's where we are in the story. And one of his sons was named Joseph. And uh, that's who we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. uh, Because I think there's so much life application and important just detail in the story of Joseph that we're going to look at. And so that's where we pick up today in verse 37. Now, there is a big idea that not only are we going to uncork today, but we're actually going to look at this same big idea for five weeks. It's going to be the overarching theme to everything that we talk about as we talk about Joseph. And as we go through Joseph's story, this theme is going to make so much sense. But I'm going to give it to you right now so that you can see it through the whole thing. The series' big idea is simply this. God loves me, is always with me, and has greater plans for me. I've got to fix my S. It's God loves me. God loves me, is always with me, and has greater plans for me. Now, I want us to get this, okay? So let's all... Say it together. Are you ready? God loves me, is always with me, and has greater plans for me. Now that speaks to every one of our lives individually. The truth is is that God truly does love you, and he loves me. God is always with you, and he is always with me. And you know what? No matter where you are in life, God has greater plans for you, and God has greater plans for me. And nowhere in Scripture do we see big idea play out as vividly as we do in the story of Joseph. Now, if you want to get the whole context, because we're going to be jumping through it, of Joseph, his story goes from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. Uh, But we're going to pick up in Genesis 37 and work through uh, a part of the story. But this story starts with Joseph as a boy who is basically his daddy's favorite. You know, my kids ask me sometimes, Dad, who, who do you love more? Who do you love more? And the answer is, and you can use this, I stole it from somebody, whichever one of you needs the most love at the time. That's the answer, right? Because love is, love is a verb, and uh, there's times in our life when, you know, some kid just might need a little, little more love at the moment than another, and that's the one I'm loving more. Who's your favorite? Now, they argue over that. They, uh, program their names in our phones as like the best child, the favorite child, the new favorite child, 
Uh, oh gosh, they're, they're a mess. But now in this case, we actually have biblical evidence that Joseph's father had a lot of love and favoritism towards Joseph. And that's where the story begins with, with, with daddy's favorite as a young boy. And then by the end of the story, Joseph is in command and second in rank of the entire nation of Egypt, which at that time was the most powerful nation on the planet. Joseph saved two nations from starvation. Uh, He saved the nation or the lineage in which Jesus came. But when you look at the path of Joseph's life, it's not the path that anybody would have chosen or would have taken. So let's pick up with the story in Genesis 37, starting in verse 3. If you have your Bibles or you can look with me at the screen, we'll look at this together. The Bible says that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Boy, that, you're one of the other 11. That's exciting news. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob... He had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. We know it as a coat of many colors, right? Dolly Parton sang about that, a technicolor dream coat. But his brothers, they hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Let me just give you a quick little piece of information. If you clearly love one of your kids more than the others, you're going to create resentment. Period. I mean, there's just a great piece of life application right there. And that's what happened in this case of Joseph. Jacob caused all kinds of problems. I mean, that guy was a knucklehead, right? Yet he was part of God's plan that that God had for all of this. And and part of his poor choices that he made, Jacob made, was he, he, he had this son that was a favorite. He gave this son special gifts. He gave this son special privileges. And as a result, it created resentment. Now, here's the great thing about a sovereign God. God was up to something through that. And it was through that resentment that the things went into play, that it created this scenario by which two nations were saved, Joseph rose to the power that he rose to, and God's plan was carried out. But when we look at this story, um, he he gives him this robe, and the other brothers, they, they had this resentment and this hate towards him. And the Bible says that they couldn't find a kind word to even say to Joseph. Verse 5. So it goes on and it says that one night that our, our, our guy Joseph, he has this dream. And when you look back at the, at the Bible times, oh, so many times God would speak to people through dreams, right? He spoke to Joseph through dreams. He spoke to Joseph's father through a dream. He, he even spoke to the other Joseph. Remember Mary and Joseph? He even spoke to the other Joseph through a dream. This is the way God would communicate, reveal things many times. So he speaks to Joseph in a dream and he goes and he tells his brothers about this dream. And he said, the Bible says that because of this dream, they hated him even more. Listen to the dream, he says. He says, hey, we were out in the field. We're tying up bundles of grain. And, uh, you know, we're tying up these bundles of grain. And suddenly the bundle that I was tying, it just stands up on its own. And then your bundles all gather around my bundle and they bow down before my bundle. That's the story. Now, they already had this hatement and this resentment in verse 8. It goes on, and it says, as a result of this story, his brothers responded, so you think that you're going to be our king? Like, the brothers, they didn't even need a dream interpreter to know what it was that Joseph was trying to say to them. 
So you think we're going to bow down to you? You think that you're going to be our king? Do you actually think you will reign over us? Remember, he was the one that was born to his father in his old age. That means he was the little brother. You really think you're going to reign over us? And the Bible says they hated him all the more because of his dream and the way he talked about them, his dreams. Verse 9. Soon, Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream. He said, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, they all bow down before me. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. Now, there were 12 children born to Joseph. So how many brothers did he have? 11. That's the 11 stars. The sun was his father. The moon represented his mother. And the 11 stars represented his brothers. And so they said to him, they said, now, now we go on, verse, uh, verse 10. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come to bow to the ground before you? Now, those of you that know the rest of the story, what's the answer to that? Yeah, they actually would. They actually would. Verse 11, but while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father was curious. He wondered, what do these dreams mean? Now understand in this story that God gave Joseph a dream. This, this wasn't a dream that Joseph conjured up on his own. Joseph didn't go to some self-esteem class where they told him, you dream as big as you can dream and you can become anything you want to be. We've got to quit telling our kids that, by the way. He said, you dream as big as you dream. Now, this wasn't something that he conjured up on his own. And one day he was like, you know what? I want to be king over everybody. It, this wasn't his. This was actually a dream that God had given to him. It was a vision, a dream, a plan, a purpose that had been placed into motion and given as a vision to Joseph. It was God's plan. It was God's purpose. And God reveals this to Joseph here through this dream, that he's going to accomplish these big things. But as we read through the story, obstacles began to become a, 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 a problem to Joseph accomplishing this dream. Now, what we see later, and those of us that know the rest of the story come to understand, is that these obstacles were actually the very things that God used to get Joseph to the place where the dream was accomplished. But in the process, in the process, it's hard to see, it's hard to see how these obstacles are leading him towards becoming this king or this ruler. Same thing happens in your life. So many times in our lives we have visions, we have dreams, we have plans, and these things come along that seem like obstacles, and many times we don't understand that maybe these challenges, maybe these obstacles are the very things that God may be using to get us to the dream, the plan, the purpose that he has for us. And this is what happens with Joseph. So what are the obstacles? His brothers hate him, right? That's where we are. His dad loves him, but his brothers hate him. So when we pick up in, the, in verse 14, look what it says. His father comes to him and he says, now, let me give you some background. Joseph was so loved, not only did he have this really cool coat, but he also, his brothers are sent out to work the flocks Dad says, you boys go to work, and they're out tending to the livestock. 
And Joseph's back at the house. He doesn't even get sent to work. He's hanging out back at the house with mom and dad and them, and all the brothers are out in the field working. That's going to create even more resentment. And so one day in verse 14, dad comes to Joseph, and he says, Hey, I want you to go out there. I want you to see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then I want you to come back and tell me how things are going. Give me a report. So Jacob, he sent them on his way, sent them on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem, which is a long journey from their home in Hebron. So he sends him from Hebron to go to Shechem and check on his brothers. Hey, Joseph, go and see how they're doing. Now, skip down to verse 18 with me, and look how this story starts to take this dramatic turn. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. Because remember, that coat (laughs) made him easy to spot. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Now, I know he was daddy's favorite, and I know that created some resentment. But you got some major family dysfunction when your own brothers are plotting to murder you. By the way, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You start at Genesis 1 and you read all the way through that book. The book of Genesis is the Jerry Springer show of the Bible. I mean, it is, there's so much dysfunction and family craziness in the book of Genesis. And so here is the brothers and they're planning to kill him. They said, oh, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's, let's kill him and let's throw him into a cistern. Let's throw him into a well. And then we can tell our dad, well, the, the animals got him. He got ate by the animals. And then we'll see what becomes of his dream. Bow down to him. Ha! If we kill him, we ain't bound down to nothing or nobody. And so this is, this is where his brothers are. This is the first obstacle we see come along. He is so resented by his brothers that they plot to kill him, yet God's already told him that they're going to bow down to him. He's going to become this king. Look at verse 20, uh, 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers, they rip off that coat of many colors, that beautiful robe. And by the way, we're going to talk about this three weeks, four weeks, five weeks from now. But I want you, everybody's here today, listen. Listen. Don't miss this statement. His brothers ripped off the beautiful robe. They took the robe from him. His mantle, his identifying piece. When we think of Joseph, we think of the coat of many colors, right? That's what he's known for. And they ripped that off of him. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that here in about a month, all right? And you're going to be, oh, I remember when Brother Nathan said that on Labor Day. He take, they take the beautiful robe off of him that he was wearing. And verse 24 says, Then they grabbed him and they threw him into a cistern or a well or a hole in the ground. They throw him into this hole. My friend uh, Nephi was telling me about this week about this prison out in Moab where this old sheriff, it was a hole in the ground, when he'd need to leave town or go do something, he would take the prisoners and put them in this hole because they couldn't get out. And they'd leave them some food and water, and he'd put them in this hole out in the middle of the desert, and then they'd come back and, and get them and put them back when the sheriff got back to town. Like this week I was preparing this sermon. I had dinner with Nephi. It was a Wednesday night, right? And he, and he told me this story. He said, we might, we're going out to Utah together here uh, next month. And, and uh, Nephi was telling me, he's like, we might even get to go by and see this place. And all I could think about was this story as you were telling me about that, Nephi. And so, uh, so there's this, this incredible story wrapped around what's going on here. They throw him into this well that he can't climb out of. 
And their thought is, we'll just leave him there, we'll leave him for dead. And really, it was his brother Reuben that kept him from just all out killing him. And, um, and there he is in the pit. And that's where we're going to stop today. Because obstacle one is the pit. We're going to talk about Potiphar's house, then we're going to talk about the prison in the upcoming weeks. But we can't stop without stopping at the pit. Because for many of us, God has given us plans, we have dreams, we have things we want to do, become, accomplish, but we find ourselves in a pit, right? And what is the pit? The pit is that place that we end up in really against our own will, but yet we're, we're, we're sunk, we're trapped, and we can't seem to get out of it. And so many of us today, so many of us, maybe you sitting in the pew today, you say, that's me. Like, there's things I want to be, there's things I want to become, yet I feel like I'm in the pit. Life is the pits. And we find ourselves stuck in the pit. We find ourselves with circumstances out of our control. Maybe something somebody else has done to us. Maybe somebody that was resentful. Maybe some other situation has thrown me or spun me into this place where I feel entrapped, where I feel completely closed in, and there's no escape. And there might be somebody here today that you go, I can totally identify with that. And I want to talk to you about what's going on. And then we're going to see how God frees Joseph next week and in the coming weeks. But I want to talk to you, if you're here today and you feel like you're stuck in a pit, I'm not going to give you five steps to get out of the pit. Because the problem with the pit is many times we get in the pit and we don't even have the ability on our own to get out of it. Joseph did not get out of the pit on his own. He didn't. And we're going to talk about that next week. And it might be a place where you feel like you can't even get out of it on your own. But let me remind you of something if you're in that pit today. God loves you. He didn't quit loving Joseph because Joseph was stuck in a pit. And guess what? Not only does God love you, but he is always with you. Even when Joseph was stuck in that pit that his brothers threw him in, God's presence was there. And his, his presence is with you in your pit too. And God has greater plans for you. Now, that's the tough one in the pit. You can see, oh yeah, I know God loves me and I know he's with me. Me and him are just chilling out down here in the loneliness of this pit. But when I say God's got greater plans for you, you go, I can't get out of this pit. Like, I can't go, I'm stuck I'm stuck in this. I'm stuck in this job. I'm stuck in this financial crisis. I'm stuck in this debt. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I'm stuck in whatever it is. I'm stuck in this East Texas town. I don't know what your pit is. And you feel like you can't get out of it, that there's nowhere to go. And I want you to know that not only does God love you, not only is he with you, but he still has greater plans for you. And he still had greater plans for Joseph too, even though Joseph was in the pit. So I want to talk about the two emotions that we experience when we're in the pit and how you deal with those. The first one is loneliness. When you're in a pit all alone, it's lonely. When you find yourself in that place in life, you will deal with loneliness. And loneliness is a tough emotion. And I want to tell you right now that God is present. God is present. Even in your pit. And you say, yeah, that don't really help much. Here's how God is present. He's given you some things that you can use, some tools. As a matter of fact, 
one of the greatest things that God has given you is, um, well, i tell you what, just look to your left and look to your right. Just look around. He's given you the church. You say, well, I know, I come to church, but these people aren't helping me with my loneliness. I, you know, I hadn't really connected and made a lot of friends in the church. Um, whose fault is that? Whoa, you preaching, preacher. Wake up. You're preaching, preacher. You're right, I'm preaching. Because I've watched too many people go back and go, man, that church ain't friendly. Man, I can't connect with anybody at the church. I said, well, have you, have you come to group? Have you, have you come to Sunday school? Have you tried it out? Have you tried to, hey, introduce yourself to somebody? Have you tried yourself to be friendly? The Bible says that many of you don't have any friends because you don't present yourself as friendly. <laughs> In other words, the onus to make friends isn't on them. It's on you. It's on you, and you have it. If you're in the pit, one of the first things you can do is connect with some people. Come, get involved, introduce yourself. Find the people that you, you don't really know, but they kind of sit close to you every time you come to church and say, hey, my name's Nate. What's your name? Say, man, I wish somebody would just invite me to lunch. I got a better idea. You invite them to lunch. You invite them to lunch. I, I invite people to lunch all the time. And in almost 10 years, in nine and a half years as the pastor of Longview Missionary Baptist Church, I have never, not a single time, have I had somebody tell me no. Now, I've had some people go, I can't do it this week, let's do it next week. Boom, you're on. But I've yet to have anybody tell me no. I am batting a thousand on this one. And I bet you would too. Some people though, here's the problem. Some people fall in love with their pit. You ever met people like that? They just love to wallow in their misery. They love to just stay in their pit and wallow in their pit, and they go down there to Pier 1, and they get them some furniture and some decorations, and they decorate their pit, and they make it home. Got me a nice sectional over here in the pit. Got some, got, I went to Mardell and got some, some pictures with some cool scripture on it. Got me one of them big TVs. Just going to chill out down here in the pit. Because here's why. Listen. Because when you... Stay in the pit. You don't have to make progress. Because progress takes work. And if I just decorate my pit and wallow in my pit and stay in my pit, guess what? I don't have to make any progress. I can blame my circumstances. And by the way, in America, we allow our circumstances to dictate our belief in God instead of our belief in God speaking into our circumstances. If you didn't catch that, I'm going to say it again because that is good preaching. In America... We allow our circumstances to shape our belief in God instead of allowing our belief in God to shape our circumstances. There's like three of you here. I'll just amen myself on that one. Here we go. <laughs> amen, preacher. That's good. That is good stuff. And, and it is so true because we blame circumstances. We blame people. We play the victim. But listen, you can write this down. Victims never walk in victory. Victims never walk in victory. So we, we do that. The second thing we experience that I want to address today, first one's loneliness. We just talked about that. The second thing that we deal with in the pit is doubt. Doubt. 
we get in the pit and we tend to doubt. As a matter of fact, if you're in the pit today, you probably disagree a little bit with my big idea. You might be here today in the pit and I say, God loves me, and you go, I'm not really sure about that because it really don't feel like it right now. I doubt it. I doubt it. If you're in the pit and I say, God is always with you, you go, yeah, I hear you saying that because you're having a good life, preacher, but I'm in the pit. I doubt it. I doubt it. If you feel like you're stuck in the pit and you can't get out, and I say something like, God is always with you, he loves you, and he's got greater plans for you. You go, I doubt it. I doubt it. Because that's what we do in the pit. And by the way, there was actually some moments where Joseph doubted. And we're going to talk about that. But we doubt. We get in the pit and we tend to doubt. And, and that's maybe where you are. And then all of a sudden we start saying things like this. God, you owe me an explanation. God, I heard the preacher preach it. Preached it five years ago. He's preaching it again today. I heard him say it, that you love me and you're always with me and you got greater plans for me, but here I am in this pit. God, you, you owe me an explanation. Joseph could have sit in that pit and he could have went, God, you gave me those two dreams and I told them to my brothers and they got mad and they threw me in this hole. So God, you, what are you doing, God? You owe me an explanation. I deserve an explanation. It's like rationalizing with a three-year-old. Listen, listen to me. In the pit, we shouldn't ask God for an explanation. We should ask God for a revelation. Did y'all hear that? In the pit, we shouldn't be asking God for explanations. We should be asking God for a revelation. We should say, God, don't, don't give me an explanation. God, reveal to me what you're doing because I know the promise. I know the dreams I have. And God, I don't feel like it right now, so show me. Don't say explain to me. Say, God, show me. And that's okay. That's asking God to give you an explanation. That's not going to do you any good. But it is okay sometimes to go, God, I just need you to show me. Isn't that what Abraham did? Isn't that exactly what we talked about a couple weeks ago? When he made the promise to him, but then as a few years later, he still hadn't had a kid. And he goes, God, I'm not so sure. God, show me. I believe you, but I just need to see it. And then the Bible says that God actually counted it as righteousness unto Abraham. He said, God, I believe you. I just need you to show me. And listen, this is important. Because it's easy to believe God when everything's going good. But when we deal with some hard times, when we get thrown in the pit, it's not so easy. Don't ever doubt in the dark, what God has revealed to you in the daylight. Don't ever doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the daylight. By the way, what was God's plan for Joseph? It was that he would become this incredible leader, that he would become the leader of a nation, that Joseph would become the commander over all of Egypt. If, you hear, if you're here today and you've ever been in any position of leadership, you've been in the military leadership, you've, you've had a business, even leading your family sometimes, if you've ever been in any level of leadership at any place, at any level in your life, you know what I'm about to say is absolutely true. That there are two emotions 
that leaders constantly have to deal with. Loneliness and doubt. The same emotions that you experience in the pit are the same emotions that leaders deal with. Because leadership is lonely. Because sometimes you have to do things and make decisions that aren't popular. Leadership is a lonely place. And guess what? Because you are making these decisions that, that may lead a family, may lead a business, may lead a people, you're constantly second-guessing your choices. And you're doubting. Loneliness and doubt. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, when God threw Joseph in that pit, and there he is, in that place of loneliness, in that place of doubt, maybe, just maybe, God wasn't punishing Joseph after all. Maybe he was preparing him. And maybe that's what God's doing with you today. As our musicians come, I want you to contemplate that for just a second. If you find yourself in the pit, maybe it is that God does actually still love you. And God is still with you. And it could possibly be that God still has greater plans for you. That this isn't a punishment. That this isn't penance. But it's actually the way that God is preparing you to do something great. Have you ever considered that? Hey, we're going to talk next week about how Joseph went from the pit straight into slavery. And guess what God was doing in that, in that enslavement? He was preparing him. And then from Potiphar's house in that slavery, he gets thrown right into a prison where he spends years. And he's just forgotten. And God wasn't punishing because Joseph had done everything right. Now God was still preparing him. And it may be the pit. It may be the slavery of Potiphar's house. It may be the prison, an Egyptian prison. And you know what? Sometimes in life, we feel like we just keep getting knocked backwards. We get into the pit. We, get cl we climb out of the pit. A rope gets thrown into us. We think we're free only to get sold into slavery, get enslaved with something else. And we finally break free from slavery only to get thrown into a prison. And that might be you. Like the hits might keep coming. But this principle is still true. God loves you. He's with you and he's got greater plans for you. So maybe God isn't punishing you. Maybe this is what God needs to do to mold you, to refine you with fire, to prepare you for what he has planned. So as we look at Joseph's life over the next few weeks, today and the weeks to come, listen to what God's trying to say. And let God speak to your heart. God's speaking to you today. This invitation is a time of next steps. What's God calling you to? I know that we, we, you know, if God's, we know it all starts with the truth of the gospel. But that same thing that Abraham exercised, belief, faith in Jesus. Baptism is an essential, necessary next step. If you haven't made that step, it's something you need to do. Church membership. If God's speaking to you about something today, we're going to have an invitation. If you feel like you need to come, you come. If you need to catch us after service and speak to somebody, you can. But whatever it is, this invitation time is for you to respond and make a next step. God speaking to your heart. It could be something else. You may want to just pray and say, God, help me get out of this pit. Or God, just give me faith in the midst of it. Right where you are. You may want to come and kneel in these altars and pray. Whatever God's talking to you about today, it's your time. Let's stand together.
come.